Hi, this is Jason Smith, and I wanted to take a moment before we start to let you know that following this week's episode, which is being released on April 15th, 2021, Digital Jung will be on a brief hiatus for a couple of weeks. I'll be back on May 6th with some new episodes, and my plan going forward is to finish up this first season of the podcast around mid-June, and then to take an extended summer break for July and August. After that, I'll be returning with a second season of episodes starting in the fall. I look forward to continuing to be able to bring Digital Jung to you throughout the rest of the year and beyond. And, as always, thanks for listening, and take good care. Welcome to Digital Yum, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst. And in this episode, I present some highlights and excerpts from a recent talk that I gave on my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. It's the human soul. That's the very treasure. Recently, I gave a talk at the C.G. Jung Institute of New England that was based on my book and titled, as you might imagine, Religious But Not Religious. And in what follows, I've selected several excerpts from that presentation in order to be able to offer you, my listeners, a sample of that event. This talk was presented via Zoom, of course, on a cool, early spring evening. In the background, you may hear the clink of pellets in my pellet stove, as well as the rustling of my papers and lecture notes. I've done what I can to clean up the rest of the sound quality as best I can. So, that said, I hope you enjoy these highlights from my talk, Religious But Not Religious. The point of religion, and let me just sort of put this uh, out front, which is also the point uh, of psychology. The point is life, right? The point is not the religion and the point is not psychology. The point is life. And the reason to engage in something like uh, uh 
a, a psychological uh, activity or a religious activity is in order to have a right grasp of life. About It's about being able to enter in and engage life as fully as possible. That is the right grasp of life. In the book uh, that I wrote, in Religious But Not Religious, I start with this quote from Jung, uh, which is on uh, the symbolic life. And he gives a talk in 1939 to a group called the Guild for uh, Pastoral Psychology. And uh, he says this, he says, now we have no symbolic life. And we're all badly in need of the symbolic life. Only the symbolic life can express the need of the soul, the daily need of the soul, mind you. And because people have no such thing, they can never step out of this mill, this awful, grinding, banal life in which they are nothing but. Everything is banal. Everything is nothing but. And that is the reason why people are neurotic. Jung doesn't do a, a direct definition of what he means by the symbolic life. Uh, and apart from this talk uh, that he gives, I can't find him using the phrase the symbolic life anywhere else. Um, and so this question of what is the symbolic life and, and what's this about? Um, uh, is, a, is an interesting one to me. And there are some clues in here. Uh, one is the symbolic life is about the daily need of the soul. Only the symbolic life can express the need of the soul. So it's about that element of soul and that element of meaning, right? And then he says that if you don't have a sim symbolic life, you can't step out of the everyday level of existence, uh, of getting and spending the awful, grinding, banal life in which we're nothing but. There's nothing beyond the, the present moment. There isn't a sense of connection to something other, connection to something more, connection to something that uh, releases us from the merely mundane, at least from time to time. And he says it's that piece that we can't, uh, everything is only nothing but. It doesn't have a, another layer of uh, meaning or reference. That's why people are neurotic. That's why people become ill. As a means of participation, the approach to whatever we're engaging remains fluid and open, right? And we understand uh, through making contact with something that uh, is hard to make contact with. It involves us, it engages us, uh, but the point is to kind of make that contact. And the particular approach, whatever it is, whether it's the 
Christian tradition, the Buddhist tradition, or Jungian psychology is the means by which we can participate in a reality that transcends the particulars of that approach. So it's a means to participate in something that is ultimately unknowable. Jung says about the psyche, for instance, that is, it is the densest darkness it is possible to imagine. We do not know what the psyche is. He says in one of his letters, I don't know what anima is, what animus is, what shadow is. I use these as a way to talk about and communicate about mysteries and unknowable realities that we can't talk about without some kind of shared language. The mystics know that when they talk about God, they have no idea what they're talking about. Blessed is the one who has achieved an infinite ignorance, says one mystic. Um, they know they don't know what they're talking about. Meister Eckhart talks about having to leave God in order to find God. Any idea, any image uh, is not the reality that we're trying to connect. Talking about symbols. So, in... Uh, an essay called The Stages of Life, Jung makes this statement about symbols and symbolic uh, thinking. He asks the question, do we ever understand what we think? We only understand that kind of thinking, which is a mere equation from which nothing comes out but what we have put in, right? Nothing new is added. It's just an equation. We put something in, something came out. That's the working of the intellect. That, by the way, is the mindset that we live in, right? We live in a, a world that right now our favorite metaphor is technology, right? We talk about whether we have enough bandwidth for something. We talk about uh, whether we're, you know, uh, online or offline. We, we think in terms of the metaphor of the machine. And so this idea of putting data in, performing an operation, and getting a result makes sense. That's how we think thinking happens, and, and it can happen that way. But besides that, there is a thinking in primordial images, in symbols, which are older than the historical man, which are inborn in him from the earliest times, and eternally living, outlasting all generations, still make up the groundwork of the human psyche. We come into the world with a psyche that has this uh, store of uh, sort of uh, this groundwork, uh, these primordial images, these symbols, um, or the potential for those symbols. And then he says, it's only possible to live the fullest life when we're in harmony with these symbols. 
wisdom is a return to them. So for Jung, the symbolic life, being in harmony with the symbols, being in harmony with that thinking in primordial images. Jung also says somewhere that uh, the secret of dreams is not that we dream, but that we are dreamt. Our psyche is moving through us and having an effect and uh, uh, determining things in a greater way than we imagine. Uh, and if we think we should be able to direct our psyches where we want them to go, we will be out of harmony with the symbols. We will be out of harmony with life and we will not be living out of wisdom. Every experience has a, a, a more to it. This is a, a, a short piece that I, from the book that I write. Every experience, every moment, and every object carries with it a penumbra of unknown and unknowable aspects. I borrow this idea directly from Jung. He talks about this, that there is a more to our experience that can't be expressed in terms of directed thinking. When we uh, are in experiencing the stimuli of life, we can't catch everything. It's not possible. We filter things. And so there are elements that are left out in order for us to have some directed activity. And we can't know for certain where the limits of that more extend in terms of each of our experiences. Um, our experiences are determined by culture. They're determined by our memory. They're determined by past experiences. They're determined by what we've learned. They're determined by our mood. There are so many elements. They're determined by the objective reality around us. There are so many parts of our experiences and so many uh, determinants interacting in a very complicated way that if you think about it, the, the fact that the psyche organizes all of that information and all that's happening around us into something that is coherent and that makes sense is, is a remarkable thing. So the psyche is an organizing force and, and it, it, it uh, allows us to have some relationship to things, but then there's this more, this extra that's around things. Plotinus uh, the Neoplatonic philosopher says, all teams with symbol, all teams. It's just everything is, is teeming with symbol. And the wise person is the one who in any one thing can read another. So that we're not concrete. It's only this. But we recognize that everything has a resonance and everything has uh, layers of meaning connected to it.
Symbols are polyvalent. They're polysemic. They, they have multiple layers of meaning. They're not just one thing. Uh, in the same way that, uh, so a symbol is a living thing in the same way that we would meet somebody, another person. That person doesn't mean one thing. That person is a complex living reality that has many facets. And my particular relationship with that one person that is in front of me uh, will speak of a particular kind of constellation of that relationship. It's not all of me, it's not all of the other person, but, but in that relationship, uh, there's a, there's a meeting. The symbols is similar. We meet the symbol in the same way as the way we would meet a thou, another person. Um, we don't expect another person, well, some people do, to, to uh, direct us or give us information or we don't, you know, we generally don't or shouldn't want to make use of that person only for our purposes. And it's the same with the symbol. And we could talk about that too in terms of dreams. We tend to go into our dreams and extract an image out of our dream and say, how can I make use of this to make my ego life better in some way? Rather than engaging with our own psyches and our own dream images and our own dream symbols as others, uh, with which we want to deepen our relationship. So in this sense, it becomes absolutely crucial that there is something, a container, that holds when everything else is falling apart. And the symbol and the symbolic life and the religious life is a container. And in many ways, we have lost these containers. We've lost that. And, and let me read the full quote of this. This is from uh, Jung's seminar, Nietzsche seminar. He says, the religious symbol is used against the perils of the soul. The symbol functions as a sort of machine, one could say, by which libido, psychic energy, is transformed. By means of the symbol, such dangers, the perils of the soul, can be accepted. One can submit to them and digest them. So the symbol, the religious symbol or, or the, 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 you know, the, well, the religious symbol, acts as a kind of lightning rod. It's a container that allows powerful archetypal energies to be grounded in a way, held in a way, so that the full force of them does not hit the individual. Without the symbol, without the container, it, it's us, it's our psyches, it's our nervous systems that take the, the full brunt of it. And this is, Jung goes on to say, that is what people don't know, that they are exposed, naked to the unconscious when they can no longer use the old ways. 
particularly since nowadays they don't even understand what they mean. If we don't have the sense of the symbolic, that polyvalent sense of meaning, that it can mean these, it can have these levels of meaning, when we think that the symbol literally means what it's pointing to, we don't understand what it means and it can't help us. It can't contain it because it's just an idea. It's just a kind of thin belief that doesn't touch the heart. The symbol helps us link our personal experience, our individual story, to the larger archetypal experience, the larger human story, so that it's not just our story, but our story participates in that larger story. And Yolanda Jacobi, who was one of the uh, uh, early uh, students of Jung and one of the women around him who did so much to sort of promote and make his work accessible, talks about how with the symbol, the personal problem is no longer just the individual's problem to solve, but becomes transformed into a problem that it has been incumbent upon human beings to solve since time immemorial. It becomes something that this is what it means to be a human being. It's not just my problem. It's, oh, I'm living a human problem. This is a human life. And it be we become participants in that kind of mythic, understanding of life. It is not what we know that matters. It's not what we're able to think that matters, right? What I said at the beginning is true. I think. I suggest that it's about life. What we know doesn't matter as much as what we're able to live. And the point of the proper engagement with the religious dimension is to be able to live more life and to live it more fully and to be able to engage it. images and the symbols, that groundwork of the psyche that Jung spoke of before, that, that image, that quote that we talked about. From time immemorial, in our, what, 70, 80, 100 years on this planet, we don't have enough time to generate and to, to uh, uh, have the kinds of experiences uh, to learn how to live a human life. We need support in terms of how to live a human life. We need to have some access to this groundwork and treasure house of human wisdom that is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. So let me just end with two quotes from Jung. Let's take it back to Jung. Among all my patients in the second half of life, 
that is to say over 35 there has not been one whose problem in the last resort was not that of finding a religious outlook on life. It is safe to say that every one of them fell ill because they had lost what the living religions of every age have given to their followers, and none of them has been really healed who did not regain their religious outlook. He says every one. There has not been one whose problem in the last resort. That's a pretty sweeping statement. Every single one on some level is in need of finding a religious outlook in the second half of life. Some meaningful relationship to life. And then the last quote from Jung. The decisive question for man is, is he related to something infinite or not? That is the telling question of our life. Only if we know that the thing which truly matters is the infinite, can we avoid fixing our interest upon futilities and upon all kinds of goals which are not of real importance. What matters? What's important? We don't have time to mess around. And only if we have the proper orientation to life, to something beyond us, some relationship to the infinite, can we organize and arrange our life or, or feel our life in harmony with that which truly matters. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard in this episode, or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening. Take good care.